0: Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional halo opponents delve into their experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And I am one half of the podcast. My name is Brian. and the engineer half. John, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I'm John. I'm the product side of the fence. We actually got to update that intro. My title changed to product manager. Now I, it's just a congratulations.
0: Page. I know yeah. just a title
1: page product owner, product manager, product, this product, that there's so many different reasons, like different ways that gets structured. Uh, but no, anyways, I am John. I've, um, again, the product side of the fence been in and around software development, uh, delivery and my software development for probably about 11 years now, um, specifically in product for around five of those years.
0: So can I, can I divulge an engineering secret here? oh yeah oh yeah so in engineering chats because there are so many project managers product managers product owners they're are shorthand for referring to you all so oh, yeah? if you want anyone who's product oriented you do p star <laughs> so because i don't know if they're an <laughs> owner or a manager or a, uh, whatever G-4, or a director yeah. and if you want managers so like i don't know if it's a project people or product I say star M. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Like they're a manager of something, Excellent. but I'm not sure what there is. So star M, That's P star. Awesome. I love
1: yep. it. I love yeah. it. I love it. So, two funny. Yep. What are uh, we getting into today?
0: Yeah, today we're talking about uh, when did you switch from doing my job mm. to I want to see this thing succeed? Yep. Uh, and, or, you know, really taking ownership uh, over the product or project that you were working on and feeling more like you were a part of its long term vision as opposed to just somebody contributing tasks and being a cog in the machine and, and helping it move forward.
1: I really like this topic before we even get into it. Like, I think this topic is great because I think while there's definitely clear lines between like, I'm just a doing my job guy and I am taking that kind of like, I want to see the succeed mentality. Like even between those, there's times where you kind of fade in in between, like in and out of those different mindsets, depending on what's going on in your life where you're at, are you being burnt out? Do you like, or are you at a point where you're wanting to grow and expand? So like this topic, I think there's a general answer to where did this happen for you that you can give very specific answer to. But I think there's also like a very much like work life balance piece to this as well that plays mm-hmm. with it. Um, and so it plays on your, uh, your growth, but it also plays on where do you put work in your life, in your work-life balance? So it's a good topic. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting into it.
0: And I'm mainly interested in, I I think we're gonna talk a lot about the first time you had this experience, but you're right, where I have definitely shifted in and out of this mentality as time goes on. And I don't even think it's a bad thing necessarily to jump back and forth between them. It's just saying, do you have the vision of where this thing is going, where this, this effort is going, Or are you deferring to somebody else's vision and saying, I'm going to support you in making that happen, but I'm not necessarily going to try and exert direction or control over this thing. Uh, You know, like, is this mine or am I supporting somebody else's long-term goal?
1: Yeah. And I think there is a, like, there's almost a, a derogatory mindset that comes with that. But I do think there's just an honesty that comes with, I can still give you grade A effort. I can still give you good effort from a pure responsibility. This is my job mentality as well as being in a phase or, or not as well as, but, or differently being like, dude, I'm excited about this. I want to see it grow. I want to understand the workings behind it. I want to look at every aspect of this. I want to expand myself in this and understanding how we're defining success. And those are definitely two different attitudes and different approaches, but I don't think we want to say like pit them against each other. I just think there's definite moments where if you've always been in the responsibility mindset, and you cross over to that, no, I really want to go see what this is. Like, that's a fun experience to have. And Mm -hmm. I do think it's someplace that we'd say, like, in general, we'd rather be there. But there are definitely times where I don't want to fault anybody for being like, dude, this is my eight to five right now. I got three kids at home. They're sick. Like, it's the, you know, uh, or I'm just doing school or I got five other things going on right now. I just bought a house. Like, there's times in life where, you know, it's just going to be, here's my work ethic. Take it. I'm going to do well for you, but I'm not going to, have that ownership. I don't want ownership, but that, that deeper level that maybe you get some of, we'll get mm-hmm. into it more with specific examples. Yeah. How about you first? I feel like sure. this, this happened for you way earlier than it happened for me.
0: Yeah. So the, the story I'll tell here is from when we worked together and I, so I joined this, yeah, <laughs> a lot of our, a lot of my examples come from that place. And I had, so I, I worked at a, a very large company or a larger company where The vision was very top-down it was very task-oriented if you were below like a senior manager level it was just here's a project execute it um and then i joined a much smaller company where there was a pretty small team and then a couple of months in the senior engineer who had been there for a long time left and so he left in the middle of a a migration from on-prem to aws he left in the middle of a bunch of upgrades for different hardware and, and infrastructure that was going on. And um, there, we, we actually went out to lunch as he was leaving to kind of have like a, hey, best of luck, buddy. Sorry to leave you with this, this, uh, this mess <laughs> or, you know, all of this stuff that you need to maintain now. And at the end of the lunch, uh, we were walking back in and I told him, I have been offered a senior title as you're leaving. And because he was leaving as a senior engineer, I was being, I was an engineer being offered a senior role. And he said, it actually doesn't matter if you take it or not because you're going to wind up doing the work anyways, because this is the work that the company needs to be able to function and continue to make revenue.
1: And somebody has to do it.
0: It has to happen or like, so you can take the title or you can do the work for a while and they'll hire somebody else to take the senior title. So either way, like you're gonna do this work until they either find somebody or you, you accept that this is your job now. And it, that was a moment where I kind of started to think about not just what task have I been assigned, but how am I influencing the organization towards success? And what's my contribution towards the long-term success of this, this company? And then, so I had kind of that shift in mentality. And then we we ran all of our stuff out of a data center in the city where we live, Sioux Falls. And it was on the north side of town. And I was there with another engineer doing some maintenance late at night. And we left. And so as we were, I was walking out of the building, I looked behind me and I looked at the wall of the data center. And in my head, I mapped out where our server rack was in relation to where I was in the parking lot. And then i asked myself how fast would a car have to be going to hit the wall of that building and destroy the server rack and ruin this company and i kind of you know like i'm (laughs) I'm not a physics major right but i did some mental math on like what would that actually take and it hit me like that's a it's a speed somebody could achieve right like it's it's not even dangerously fast and that was the moment where i thought to myself strategically for this company to succeed and grow and scale We need to be in the cloud and not in this data center here in in Sioux Falls. And that was the other moment where I shifted from like, what have I been asked to do by my manager to how am I contributing to the long-term growth and scaling of this organization?
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And like I said, that's a fun one. All of a sudden you flip it when you realize it flipped of like, no Mm -hmm. longer am I just... Hey, go check on that server now. It's what is that server doing? Why is it doing it? What's the implication if it doesn't work or something happens to that server? What's the like? It's just that next mm-hmm. level of not just what's in front of me, but what does this initiative, project, server, hardware, software mean to the company as a whole? Mm-hmm. And it's a fun flip.
0: It yeah, it was it was mostly a positive event where I started to think about these good strategic things we could do to stabilize. But then around that same time, I was at my desk and somebody else came over after I had done this mental math on, you know, cars crashing through buildings and somebody else came over and was at my desk getting help with something completely unrelated to any of the infrastructure. And it hit me there that this person was in, I think, customer service and had no idea that their livelihood and their income depended on a car not driving 65 70 miles per hour straight at this one wall of the building and like it, it just kind of hit me in a different way that part of what i was contributing to was dollars coming into the company which is a good thing to do companies need to make money but i was also contributing to the stability and welfare of that individual who needed the job in a way that they weren't really aware of and that's kind of where the the flip happened for me too of it's 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 not enough for me to come in and say I patched a server in the building in Sioux Falls. I need to say, we need, we can patch that server. Yes. We need to maintain it today for next year because we don't want to be vulnerable to a car driving 65, 70 miles per hour. We need to migrate to the cloud and have, have more, yep. more disaster recovery and all those things.
1: Yep. Yeah. And again, so that's I my anecdote. That, yeah. No, the two leadership. And that, that goes to leadership that goes to uh, leading people and thinking about people and caring for people. Like, that all rolls into those more senior positions, those more senior roles, um, that a lot of us are still trying to pursue and we, we still have things we want to achieve in our career. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun when that, for me, when I hit it, it was very clearly and oh man, this like, for me is like, I wish I would've been thinking about this way. I would've been thinking this way sooner, as well as a, it, it was almost like an unlock. It was just like, there's a whole nother realm of things that I haven't even been considering that thing that those roles and those positions and those people that are filling those roles already at the next level, the ones that are good at it mm-hmm. just already are thinking that way. And so for mm-hmm. me, it was just like, it was like a level up. It wasn't just a slow growth moment. It was, I hit that moment and it was just immediately like, ah, oh, this is all the kinds of stuff that those people are thinking about. This is how they're processing these those things. And so light bulb moment, level up, whatever you want to call it, like there's still skills to be developed, but it was definitely a moment where it's just like, I need to think about this differently if I want to, mm-hmm. continue to grow in my career. And so for me, uh, my story is a little bit different is because for, I would, as much as we say, you know, learnings from the middle, like, I I feel like this is something that's relatively new for me in the last year, two years at most. Um, Hmm. Even though I've already like, again, 11, 12 years into the career. Responsibility and do what you're supposed to do uh, and do what's right. Got me a long way in my career. And I Hmm. was in an avenue of my career that it, delivery. Uh, that that those virtues really apply well to. So mm-hmm. um, while I was a business analyst, project management, a lot of what I did was seeing a project from front to back and not as a stakeholder, but what is the stakeholder saying? What are they asking for? How do we put that to definition? How do we track it? How do we make sure the designs are t- accounting for the requirements? How do we make sure it's go tested? Okay. now how do we actually get it to market? Is that delivery mindset? And so a lot of that, it didn't matter what the impact of it was. Somebody else had already made the prioritization decision. Somebody else had already made the budgetary decision. Somebody else already said what the scope should or shouldn't be at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had to go deliver on it. So f- from coming from a more, uh, let's call it strict background. Maybe, maybe it is a little bit uh, like you know uh, what's what's the word? I don't want to say militaristic, but definitely from like regimented uh, background. Like you do what you are supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. You do it because you are responsibility, and if you don't, you are a loser. <laughs> like like <laughs> that, that, that growing up mentality. Like it, it was that point blank. Uh, and maybe my parents would have used the word loser, uh, but they might have used like I think the, they would you, have. They, might, they, they probably would have. But it would be the <laughs> idea of you are not doing what is right you are being mm-hmm. lazy, you are letting people down um, when you're supposed to be doing what's right in all situations, not executing on your job is wrong. Mm-hmm. So for me, that carried me a long way and that took me very far in my career. It makes you a great individual contributor um, and you can still do have that mentality and still learn tax, still learn soft skills, still learn how to work with people, uh, still learn how to prioritize and how to evaluate risk. But it was always from, here's a project in front of you that you're expected to go deliver, go deliver it. And I could care less what impact that had on the overall business because the business wasn't my concern. That largely changed when I started getting into product. But even when I first entered my product role about halfway through my career, my first product role, uh, it was still very much the way that you introduce a lot of people to product. You don't necessarily introduce them to the business side before you introduce them to the user side. So as a product person, you're very much focused on, okay, instead of saying, here's requirements, go build this thing you talk to your users, you have user interviews. What are the problems that they're asking you to solve? What are ways you creatively to solve that? Uh, how do you get a UX input and feedback? Like it's very much a user focus. So you're still go solve this thing. You're still in the box of what you're being asked to do. You're just now asked to being solved that in a way that meets our users needs. And so that was my first experience in product and where I initially grew in the product role and kind of expanded from just a plain delivery role. Um, this last couple of years, I'm probably getting a little long winded here, is where um, I moved up into a more uh, middle to senior products role. So again, now that that product management title for what it's worth um, and, and hoping to get more of a senior or director level title here soon, director of product doesn't quite mean like director of a, of a whole um, department where I'm at. But yeah, that's what I'm shooting for. But to move into those positions... We start having to actually measure our key uh, success indicators, you know, our KPIs, who are, depending on where you're at, your, your objectives, um, and actually saying, instead of being, here's your project, take it from, here's your project through delivery. It's uh, what is your product trying to be? Like, what, who is your product? Like, what is the flag in the sand? We want to be the best uh, partner integration service in this field, bar none. Like, that's the flag in the field what are the, key, the, the, measurements to get you there? Like, what are you measuring to say we launched 10% faster than anybody else? We've grown revenue by uh, 30% for anybody that's transitioned to our platform. Like what are those metrics that you're actually measuring your success with? And then what projects do you actually go choose to do that support, those objectives and those measurements? It was tying those projects upstream to what is driving the projects that are being selected. And when I, first time I did that and I was completely lost and I had to kind of get walked through that process by the time I was done with it, that was the moment for me. That was like, wait a minute, I can actually tie what I'm working on and what I'm delivering, and I deliver very well. And that's the part of my career that I, I built my career on. Um, but to then be able to start seeing what dra- drives from business, from revenue, from being able to expand teams, to you know whatever that may look like, like the dollars and cents, and then all the downhill uh, um, impact of generating more revenue and building mm-hmm. more products and getting more clients. Um, that was the, the moment I switched for me from just, here's your project, go deliver it to, um, no, I want to go see, I want to see these metrics move. I want to see mm-hmm. these objectives be achieved. I want to, you know, see the product be the best that we can make it. So that was, I would say within the last 14 months, probably.
0: So I relate a lot to the, to metrics as an engineer and very related to the story you told there. When, I was, when we were doing that transition from on-prem to AWS, I had a graph that I watched every day of users in the old data center versus users climbing up in the new data center. And I got a lot of satisfaction from watching those numbers. Yeah. But the other piece for me was also knowing that the old data center was much less performant and the new one was much more performant. So every user that ticked over was somebody who was saving time in, in the middle of the night or saving time on a patient chart so they could get to the next person who needed help. So I'm trying to find the right way to ask this, but does it ever feel personal to you? Like, Do you, do you believe in the product that you're creating or do you keep it at the, I'm, I'm looking at holistic metrics for this business organization and avoid yeah. the, like, I care about people getting access to
1: this thing? You know, for me, I enjoy the business side more but you can't generate good business without having taken care of your users. Mm-hmm. So I would say it probably comes from my direction that way. Um, not because I want to devalue the user by any means. If anything, I'm, I'm, I'm learning more and more of the value of the users and why you put users first and high, like you, like the user is what makes your business. And honestly, usually what makes the best businesses are solving the hardest problems for your users. Like, mm-hmm. but personality wise growth, uh, uh, like interest wise, um, I enjoy, I enjoy growth. I, so business growth. Um, and it's not so much as a dollars and cents thing as as much just seeing something grow. So whether that be productivity, whether that be performance, whether that be again, um, revenue, whatever it may be, the business side really draws to me of what are we trying to achieve? Um, and then what we do for the users mm-hmm. is what usually drives that. But, that is works. That model works more in established companies, or at least companies that have already have a a user mm-hmm. base. And you're kind of going maybe from startup to growth phase, or growth phase to to kind of like um, uh, long term, uh, long term planning. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a mature company, um, and so you already have a user base, and you're trying to figure out how to optimize that user base. If you're going from net new, you're, you're probably going the other way. A lot of times, like from a product perspective, you need to go from what are users asking for? What are the holes in the industry? What um, what are the problems that people haven't solved yet that we would just, people would just go, why would I ever do this anyway different once you've solved it? You know, you have to go from the user back to the business. But the phase that I like being in is when there's that established business and the business mm. kind of helps drive where where we're trying to uh, work with our users. Got it, help? so more long-winded, I th- but.
0: Yeah, I think that it, that is what I'm getting at where it's it's more compelling to you to optimize perhaps the metrics Um, and, and I, I, I do resonate with that too, where it's, it is so much, it is very satisfying to see a tangible metric that you can affect and that you can look at and say, this quantifies the improvement I am having on people's lives. And this is how I can quantify the positive impact I'm having on their workflow or their time savings patient experience whatever it is and and be able to say like this thing that i'm adjusting or impacting has helped someone
1: and just for me i default to the business metrics Mm. but i will say that i'm probably a little bit of an oddball in that or at least it's what i'm growing into in the product space because product usually is very much a a lot of the the, the, my my product mentors heroes people that i follow or people that i've talked to that have been in a long time they're very user-centric and they're very focused mm-hmm. on those user metrics. And so for me, that's a growth for me to become more focused on those user ones. But from a delivery perspective, what I've been groomed with for 10 years, it's been all about the business metrics because mm-hmm. somebody else has already taken care of the user case. So my growth right now in product is not just having those measurements and taking owners of those business metrics, but making sure that uh, we're also prioritizing those user metrics.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think there we are kind of meeting from opposite ends of, of the, the spectrum there because... As an engineer, I'm most often asked for experience metrics about what's the latency, you know, what's the user journey look like? Are we getting clicks to whatever, you know, what's how many users are actually logged in, that kind of thing, yep. and a lot less tying that to business numbers. And I think only once in my career have I actually had to quantify revenue impact for what I've done. And most of the time, someone else is doing that closer yep. closer to the product end to say, we've reduced the number of people moving around between workstations, but they didn't have to by X percent. But I'm going to let you take the time to turn that into an hourly number of you know wages and turnover and employee attrition and all that.
1: But that's a great example. Like I could go without naming names or giving specifics, like an example just from the last couple of days, like we had an outage, a production outage. The concern, the immediate concern was how much money did we lose? How do we recoup it? What was the cost to the business? But guess what? There's a whole bunch of users that weren't able to do what they were trying to do because of the outage. But mm-hmm. the immediate response is business impact, business, uh, like what do we need to do to stabilize you know, our impact to our financials and our numbers? But the way you do that is by handling the mm-hmm. user case. But I wish or what I want to grow into is I want to be looking at things more from, dude, we didn't just lose $80,000, let's say. Uh, we had a negative impact on 500 people's evenings who were going and trying to complete this task like that should carry more weight than it does. Me, I'll, I'll honestly say it because I know that's a growth area. That's a metric I have actually for my a year annual goal. Um, and so those user metrics, I think, do need to become more pertinent. And mm-hmm. I would say for a more seasoned product owner, I would say that's probably more normal for them to see it that way as well.
0: I think I think they're the very There's senior product. Yeah, that's and that's kind of my comment here is the very senior product people that I've worked with look at problems and outages and impact like that through multiple lenses. Yep. And so when they're talking to finance, they talk about the money because that's yep. the language that the finance team is going to speak. And then when they're talking to the user base, they talk in user experience metrics. So they're they're just looking at the same problem, but they're describing it in terms and with yep. vocabulary that's going to be the most impactful for the group that they're interacting with.
1: Welcome to why we are called mini CEOs because you are working <laughs> with finance. You are working with users. You're working with sales. You're working with engineers. And depending on your audience, you do need to do it differently. It's just for me, I know my slant based on where I came from in delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's an area that I want to grow in, it's probably on the user side. So yep, where we go. So that's kind of when it, when you kind of first had that from just playing, doing your job to uh, the impact that your job is having. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you asked a good question here on our, kind of our outline. Is that ownership? Do you see this as one in the same or do you see ownership and kind of this care, this, I care about this as two separate things.
0: I think that they are two separate things because I've seen them in slightly different contexts. So, so ownership to me is, I am a little bit more what we've been talking about, where I'm I'm looking at the end-to-end impact and I understand how my clicks today impact business revenue tomorrow and next year. And then the carrying to me is a slightly different thing where you go from I'm you know, instead of just I'm I understand the revenue line for this business and the costs and how I'm impacting the bottom line. To I believe that this is a better way for things to happen. I believe that mm-hmm. this is a net positive for the world. I believe that I'm having a good impact on, on people's lives. And so I, I super care about having the first one. And I always want to have that because I think that's the right way to approach being an engineer is caring about not just like what task was I asked to hammer out code for, but what is it doing for the business? Why does the business care to have this? But then whether or not you get that second one about, I believe that this is a good thing to put out into the world is a slightly different thing that I don't always have the luxury of, of having. And often I do like, I often sincerely believe that I'm doing net positive in the world, but there are other times where it's like, I'm, I'm writing code and look, yeah. <laughs> I like this. It's a good product. It makes a lot of sense. I don't believe that it's improving people's lives. Interesting.
1: Interesting. So the way you define it makes 100% sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you were going to be able to draw out those definitions or at least those insinuations, Mm -hmm. I think the line you're trying to make exists. I think you would find that a lot of people see what you described as caring as ownership. Like you don't Mm -hmm. have ownership of it unless you are invested in caring and the impact that it has like true ownership. Like I hate to have to like qualify, Mm -hmm. uh, with like, with, with an additional word, but like, I think in a lot of people's minds, at least on the product side, when I've talked about it, or at least in some of the organizations, I wouldn't even necessarily make it a product thing. If you own something, it's not just that your name is on the list for the call, uh, uh, for the immediate uh, emergency contact when it goes down. Therefore, you Mm. own it. I think that's sometimes on the technical side where ownership gets put into a box of like, you're the one responsible for handling this if something goes wrong. Therefore, that's the ownership. When mm-hmm. I hear ownership used, it's less in that context, even though I, I see that why it's be interpreted that way, but it's less in that context and more in the context of, do you act as an owner, as in like, are you acting like a founder almost more mm. than just an owner? Like, are you acting with the person that has the passion and the care and the desire uh, to see this work and succeed and impact in the ways that the product or the software is intended to, to, to impact? Okay. So I think, I think there's a difference of definitions depending mm-hmm. on your audience. So the way you define it, I totally get what you're saying, like I can be the owner of something in the sense of I'm responsible for it and I'm responsible for seeing it completed or function or operate the way it's supposed to. And I can do that in an eight to five mindset,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or in a, in, in a detached way. Um, but still doing my job, still doing it well, but I, I'm not intimately invested in it and my, my, my being isn't attached to it. Um, mm-hmm. And you're seeing caring as, no, actually, this this I do see this as an impact to the world. I do see this as an impact to our users, a positive one that I want to get behind, not just doing the job that pays me, but I'm actually really excited about this product. Mm-hmm. I think, again, for me, that's ownership. I, I, mm-hmm. That's how I would have defined ownership.
0: That's So that's a, a really interesting distinction because mm-hmm. the second one to me is a luxury. And the first one to me is necessary, yep. where I you know when i when i take ownership in the sense i'm defining it of technical ownership of a product i i do invest in keeping it up and running i put effort and i put energy into making sure that it works well i will do what it takes to get it back up in the middle of the night when it is horked but i may not care about it i may not i may not think to myself this product is good for people to have i might think it makes money and that's great like our company generates revenue off of it, but the caring about it and thinking to myself, I am the code that I'm writing right now is doing good in the world is is kind of a a different thing. And maybe it comes from, you know, like, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but most of the time me gathering domain knowledge is primarily an excuse to write code about whatever domain it is that you're going to pay me for. But I may not believe in the domain the way that somebody whose product or who's in the product space for that same, same yep. business may, yep. may do.
1: And I think it's just, it's, it's, it's levels because what I think you're calling ownership for me is like, that's doing your job, you know? And so for, for, if you aren't coming in and willing to be part of the solution of the roles and responsibilities of your job, like I have a hard time even working here in the first place. Like, I mm-hmm. hate to be that blunt about it, but because I know there's plenty of people that are one level below what we're kind of putting, what you're calling ownership and what I'm calling Mm -hmm. doing your job. There's a group of people that only do what they have to do and only when they're called upon. And that's, and that's just the nature of the way things work. We don't need to go into that, but there is, there are a lot of people in the workforce like that and we work with them on a daily basis. But I think the ideal, the the good employee is the one that that's just, that's just their job. Like that's not considered above and beyond. That's not considered Mm -hmm. ownership or caring. It's just, Oh, this thing that's within my scope and with my domain, I'm taking care of it. Yes, that's what you're mm-hmm. expected to do. That's what I'm paying you for. So I think I hesitate to call a good employee. Like that's that's great that that's what you're doing. I hesitate to call that ownership because ownership for me, or the way I want to put the emphasis on it, is one step beyond that. Is is that additional form of caring? So I don't think it's right or wrong. I think it's just one of those things where maybe I'll be more careful on how I'm defining it because my ownership is your caring. Mm-hmm. I think mm, that, that might not even be right. Try to think how I want to phrase this up because I want to put another tier in there. We have, you're doing your job. So you're a good employee. You, you own your, ah, you, you take care of your domain. <laughs> this is fun. This is actually really true. Let me try to choose, lay this out. Choose your words. <laughs> choose your words. Slow down, John. All right. So good employee level. You take care of what you're responsible for whether that means an outage, whether that means like your job description, you take care of it and you do it well. Um, that's, That's a good employee to me. Ownership is that level of, I know how my job rolls up into the rest of the business. I know how it impacts the rest of the business. I care when you tell me, I miss an SLA, it's not just like, oh shoot, I miss my SLA by 10 seconds. It's I know that I just made a whole bunch of people wait on hold for an additional 30 seconds because my system wasn't down. Like That ownership is that next level of understanding how you impact the business and it matters to you. Not just that you understand it, but it matters to you. There's the caring of the business. I feel like there's another level above that, which is, truly enjoying the domain you're working on. Cause to your point, the domain I'm working, I've been in banking, I've been in travel, I've been in health. Health was probably the closest I felt to like, I, I actually understand like the end user impact that I'm having on providers and on patients. Um, but I would say that, that working in a domain that you have your natural passions of is a luxury. I wouldn't even call that ownership. I think you uh-huh. can have ownership and even caring the way you define caring, I think you can have that in domains that you aren't necessarily deeply passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's not your hobby outside of work as well as your work. Yeah. So, so good employee said... ownership, ownership with caring, maybe, but then there's the unicorn that we'd all love to be in that some of us do actually get to go live in of actually working in a domain that we are crazily bonkerly mm-hmm. excited to be working in. Yeah. And I,
0: so I'm going to take a minute to defend the junior engineer And you were hinting at it with scope. So I I agree with you. There unfortunately there there are people who are genuinely in a job, don't care, are gonna do the bare minimum not to get fired. So let's let's leave them aside. But then there is the the junior engineer where or in you know the person I think of as being a junior engineer where they have a much smaller and much more contained scope where they aren't even really responsible for the service or the product or the feature as a whole they're responsible for the unit tests on one class. That's a relatively small bit of it. So they might do a good job and show care and concern and ownership over that class and the unit tests that make sure that it works correctly, but not have the time or the expertise or the energy to go and look at the integration tests and the feature and the performance of it overall. And I, I think there, there is room for individuals like that to start or, or be at that point in their career for a while and just not have an opportunity to expand beyond that. And they're, they still play an important role. Like they're hammering out unit tests for a class that has to work, but they may not necessarily look at the SLAs and the the wait time and all that.
1: What it concern you though, if an engineer was still there three years into their career.
0: Three years Five on the same product. Ahead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, if you're working in the same space and several years or, or a certain amount of time into it, you're still just saying like, I write unit tests for this class and I don't care where it goes, then then that's concerning. But I think me- there is room. Oh, sorry. I think there is room for, for starting there. Even as a senior engineer, if you're taking time to gain some low-level technical knowledge to say like, look, I, I have to draw a black box around where this goes. And for now, I need to understand what this class actually does so that I can use it well and make changes.
1: But I don't think limiting the scope of your ownership is the same thing as not having ownership or care. Agreed. Um, And that's a good caveat, but I don't think it has to contradict the earlier points because I think part of ownership is asking questions. Part of ownership is desiring to seek and to learn. Um, But part of ownership is also knowing uh, the ends of your capability and your resourcing and your time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think this is what's really hard in smaller companies is because in smaller companies, you have to wear a lot of hats. Like you don't have specialized to where you can just sit and write unit tests all day. At least most cases you, you have to be able to write unit tests and be able to do baseline development. And like, or from my perspective, like, I don't always have a designer I'm expected to be able to go run a UI UX quick. If you like a checkbox, you like a radio button, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you you, you, you wear a lot of hats, but at the same time, when you start to grow and your company starts to grow, there is a natural way of like, I can't keep just adding on hats. Like it is not practical, not only because I'm trying to say not my job, but because the returns that you're going to get from me just as a finite human being diminish with what you expect me to be able to just continue to pile on. So it's really tough when you're in a growing company who's trying to weed through that and good, well-intentioned people have to start saying, wait a minute, is this mine or is this yours? And you, the last thing that person wants to do is come off of not wanting to take ownership, not wanting to be helpful, not wanting to be a team player, which is what a lot of small companies are built off of. But you get to the point where you have to ask, like, what is my domain? What am I mm-hmm. responsible for? And I don't think those scope discussions sessions have to necessarily be ownership or caring or um, ownership level questions. Like, mm-hmm. I think you can still very much own your domain. I think you still very much care. And be able to say, "Wait a minute, that doesn 't quite fit within my domain.
0: Mm-hmm. Who
1: else can help or how else do we handle this? How can I be part of the solution? but i don 't think that fits here right now. Like you mm-hmm. have to be able to have that conversation. The problem is you can abuse that conversation, and plenty of people will like hedge and, hedge and hedge and hedge and hedge and make sure they have the smallest piece of the pie so they have the responsibility like that is possible, so that's why like that 's why people are so like, oh, that doesn't sound like a good question. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're trying to duck work, but it is there. There's legitimate time and place for that conversation. Yeah. That's a long caveat because I, it's the, it's the phase I love being in. I love being in the phase of going from wild west to wait a minute, a little bit of process does us good, um, but it creates, you have to be able to have honest conversations about scope.
0: That's a good segue into the next question, which when is it okay to just do your job? And it's it's very much related to that of when is it better to say someone else should do this over me? Do you have an example? Because I do. Do you have an I, example of when this has been done well?
1: Done well? Maybe not a specific example. The the things that come to mind and I guess the point that I would make and maybe maybe your example will back me up. I feel like it has to come from leadership down. I feel like when leadership waits for the teams to try to sort it out, you're putting your teams in very awkward situations for them to be the ones to say, I can't handle this. Can you handle this? Well, I can't handle this. Can you handle this? Like, this is the gray between your team and my team. Who's going to volunteer and step up and step into taking this like mature organizations and good relate and teams that have good relationships can still attempt to have that, but that's still a very awkward conversation. I think there's a lot of help when you have strong leaderships in those situations going, Oh, you know what? That is gray. I think it belongs here. This is my first inclination. What do you guys think? Like at least facilitating mm-hmm. that when you just leave it up to, a flat org to try to hash through that gray i feel like it gets very messy or it has a potential to get very messy
0: so I, l- let me state my example because i think it's a counter example but Ooh, i'm not sure if i fit into your your scenario here so the 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 poster child example i can give for this is at a large uh, e retailer <laughs> delivery or shipping logistics company that i worked at and my team ran staffing software for the warehouses and we were flooded with product questions from from end users. And as a rule, we started by saying, we wanna take all of these ourselves so that we understand our users, we understand the use cases. And it just became it became a very poor use of our time at some point where we were spending hours trying to understand what people were doing and eventually going back to the the, our product owner in the end to say like what is this and in 30 seconds he would hammer out a response and it would be solved and then propagate it to the right documentation and the runbooks and all that and so he had that our product owner had a, a first tier triage team that did configuration for other parts of the warehouse software as well and he said uh this team has the expertise and the time and the staffing to do this much better than you do can we offload these tickets from your queue, the software queue into this, this tier one? And so we met with a handful of members of that team and we said, let me, can we show you like 10 examples? And so we walked through 10 examples and they looked at our responses and we like, please don't say that ever again. Let me paste in the answer that you should have given. And then they were good about, you know, providing us with templates and whatnot so that we could route stuff to them when it needed to be. And it may have involved team managers on both sides, kind of confirming, but it was really like three calls between us and them where everybody disagreed, like this is obviously the right place for this work to live.
1: But I would, again, maybe again, technical terms, manager, product, like you still had a product owner, a leader come in and say, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, there are two teams, both under my domain that are working through this. And your product owner was the one that came in and goes, ah. Let me connect you and start connecting Mm -hmm. the dots here and there. So even that, that's what I'm saying is like the product owner came in and said, you're right. This isn't looking like this makes sense. I actually think it could belong over here. Let me go talk to them and put you guys two together. Like that's Mm -hmm. all the direction. I'm not looking for a leader, manager, product, or otherwise to come in and say, this is what's happening. Go do it this way. That's not the kind of like direction i mean but i do think it's helpful when someone can say i see it i recognize it i do think there's a potential for a better home for this or no actually i do think this needs to stay on your plate but let's go talk it out like Mm -hmm. you at least need that initial direction or confidence that uh like there really is an issue not just a a jump ball that teams are over like my examples come from the team i'm on currently um was it was at one point the entire launch team um, they handled the entire face of a launch to a new partner. Code base expands, features duplicate, platforms duplicate, and it's no longer practical for one team to be the launch team. And the times they try to do it, all of a sudden they're working on platform code that they didn't write, trying to launch partners on it, and they're not they're not using, they're not launching correctly, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was very apparent that we had out like the, the business had outgrown that model and we needed to move to a new model. So now we have like, so now there's like three or four teams that are platform teams that all need to dedicate resources when a launch comes along. And so you have mm-hmm. representation from all these teams on the launch. Well, that made it very clear for platform work, but what about who's going to send the email to the customer to set up the kickoff call? Who's going to take care of letting CL know uh, our customer service know about this? Who's going to, so it's, it's all the, the kind of the launch based tasks
0: mm-hmm. that we're like,
1: wait a minute we're now being treated like a platform team. We're not the launch team. We have our own platform. We have the integration. We have our own roadmap that we're wanting to do on. Does it make sense for us to continue to work as launch manager when we're no longer the launch team? Mm-hmm. And so it became a toss up. It became a like, well, you guys did it before, so you should keep doing it. But we're like, but we're being told to do this other stuff because we're technically a launch team now. And there was a while there where we were just kind of having to go, someone needs to take this and it's not us. And mm-hmm. we felt bad because we're saying we can't continue to do this because we have other scope and other priorities now. Um, and it was just all it took. And it eventually happened is, yeah, we're going to hire an, uh, uh, a launch PM, uh, you know, a launch project manager. Great. That's exactly what that kind of role is perfect for. And, you know, we'll do the knowledge dump. We'll share some of the travel knowledge because we're a startup. We have nothing documented. Lying. <laughs> we, we I'm do. sure it's no, not nothing, but, but I get it. Yeah. But yeah, anybody that's in the I get it. knows yeah. knows the same <laughs> um, But the idea of like, when you just try to leave it to teams to hash through those gray areas, or even when, again, if you're a back end team to a front end team, you know how gray the line gets between back end and front end. And like, sometimes it just helps having a little bit of direction of saying, here's where the gray should lean. Mm-hmm. And so. I just hate that when you're the one feeling the gray and you raise it, you're always worried that someone's gonna go like, What's he doing over there? Why are you He's trying try to get rid of that? Yeah, yeah, why are you trying to get rid of that? <laughs> yep. So
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tough part. And the I think maybe I've said this before on the podcast too, but the most compelling feedback I've ever gotten in my career was ownership can be taken too far. Yes. And that's one of those examples where you all could have said, We'll we'll drive ourselves into the ground owning the coordination and this new roadmap that we've been given, but then you're actually showing poor ownership because you're not prioritizing the things that you've been told are going to make the biggest impact. So by leaving it uncomfortable and gray for a while, you managed to get a better solution for the company by not trying to overexert ownership and keep something that it didn't make sense to hold on to.
1: Another example in growing companies, growing companies are great for this. Um, new stuff that you just kept together by shoestrings and duct tapes but now you're like no we actually need to manage this more directly that's new scope Mm -hmm. like certs expire and when you're a new company you're like that's two years away that's three years away like we don't need to worry about that and then all of a sudden you have four or five certs expire you in a course of six months and you're like oh my gosh he's managing the certs you can't just say well your team is going to start managing those like no that's new scope Mm -hmm. like give me a half an engineer or like, like give me an additional eight hours a week or like you got to have conversations when scope grows and when duties grow, when your company grows, Um, you can't just assume that your same teams are just gonna be able to continue to take on more and more scope and ownership Mm -hmm. because then it's just not fair to your, it's not fair to your team. It's not practical. Yeah. To to get, I want to try to answer more directly. When is it okay to just do your job? Um, Golly, I think the way that I've always tried to answer this is, Is there someone else that can do it better? When is me trying to help actually detrimental to helping? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's hard to judge, but I like being helpful. I like going the extra mile. There are times where we do reach outside our scope to be helpful. But when I try to take ownership for another team that probably actually has better knowledge of the situation, better experience with it, that's where I'll be like, hey, other team you are kind of hiding from this one. I need you to step up because quite frankly, you know it better than I do. Mm-hmm. Like if I try to do this or if I take this onto my team, we are going to do it worse than you who actually live in this space. Like you need to take this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so when, what is it, When is okay to just do your job? I feel like when doing more than your job is actually detrimental is, is at least the hard, hard line. I think there's lines before that, but that's the hardest line I have. I wouldn't try to evaluate.
0: Yeah. And I, it's hard. It's really tough to quantify because especially on engineering teams, most engineering teams can solve a wide variety of problems given the right amount of time and attention. Correct. But then you're investing resources in something that may not be in your team's charter. Yeah. So when is it's okay to do your job, I usually respond with not the first time or like, it's not okay to just do your job on the first instance of something that feels Help. out of band or jump bumpy. in, yep. fight
1: the fire, be mm-hmm. the helper if it comes back and comes back and comes back and comes back yep. and still has the same ambiguity, then then you have an issue. I like yep. that one. I like that one. Yeah. A lot.
0: And that's, it also gives a lot of grace for, um, especially as you become more of a senior engineer, being able to step in and help someone who is stressed and say, this is three dependencies away from me. I don't know anything about what you do. I'm not supposed to, but let's walk through the code. Let's debug. We'll get things working. We'll get you unblocked. And then afterwards, we will talk about the gaps that got us here and figure out a more sustainable solution for this long-term.
1: I like that a lot, but I know how, I know there's a knee-jerk reaction against that, at least in the current environment I'm working through, because a lot of times the first person to raise the hand is the one that's stuck stuff for the that long-term. Uh, so like you're, you're almost afraid to help because mm-hmm. if you raise your hand, then you are now the pseudo de facto owner of that, of that process. Um, so you have to be able to have a strong enough voice to, to be helpful because you and I are both helpful people. I don't feel like I'm being arrogant saying that like we do like we don't like seeing people struggle. We don't Mm -hmm. like seeing people flounder. We don't. And we usually do have something to offer, whether it be thinking, whether it be logical, whether it be code, whether it be contacts, like we usually have something to where we can jump into a fire and usually be of service. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the last thing we want to do is leave people burning in a fire and not go in and help. Yeah. but you still have to have a voice after the fact then to make sure you're protecting not just yourself, but your team from now all of a sudden having new scope that you mm-hmm. just simply can't handle when most places today are understaffed the way it is.
0: Yep. So I'm going to, I'm <laughs> quoting a lot this, this podcast episode, but I like it. You sound another,
1: smart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I sound smartest when I quote smart people. So like like another it. having been in that situation where, uh, you know, I like something was down And I raised my hand and I said, hey, I'll take a look. And I figured it out. And then for years afterwards, I was the guy for that thing. And it wasn't good. It wasn't scalable. I was a single point of failure because nobody else had read the logs or understood how they worked. And I had a a manager, a director, actually, who said, um, because I was working on something that was time critical, and they were coming to my director trying to get my time for this other service that wasn't working. And they said, no one knows how to do it but Brian and his his terrific response was that is not true uh no one else is willing to learn how to do it but brian and when that team heard that they went back and they solved their own problems and it was more scalable going forward but it was just it was such an insightful point because he was completely right i had no special skills i had no special knowledge i had just taken the time to read the logs and so that's where I lean on leadership again, where I try to turn those kinds of things into an escalation as quickly as I can to say, I am being asked to do this, uh, I, I am happy to, it pays the same for me, I will I will gladly do this if you want for this to be part of our contribution to the company, but here's my sorted priority list and it is going to detract from these other three things. So it, you know, then my boss can make a decision about, is this the most valuable contribution for a team to make or is this not? And so that is kind of giving up ownership, right? Where then I'm saying, I don't want to, I'm not going to make a decision for the company here, but it's also, so this is kind of the other reason when I think it's, or the other time when I think it's okay to just do your job is when someone else has a better view of what is best for the company than you do. I like that. Yeah.
1: I like that. I have a, a senior engineer on my team that we're trying to segment, um, because there's a new project that we want him to be 95% dedicated to 90% dedicated to like we understand like developer time gets used on other things you help your, your senior You're gonna jump in but um, he's Mr. Helpful and trying to protect him from himself of like, I know you were team lead I know you're actually gonna come back to the team lead this is only a three month temporary thing like I know you're coming back to this role, but for the time being we have implemented such and such as the new team lead. Yes, he's more senior than him. you. Yes, you could solve it in 10 minutes, and it's going to take him two hours. The first time, you need to stop joining these calls. You need to stop jumping in. You need to stop raising your hands on these things because I need him to learn. And the only way he's going to do it is if he has to. And I think he's willing, but you're getting to it first. And now your, your milestones are falling behind on this project that I'm trying to protect you to work on. Mm-hmm. And like that's a hard conversation to have. But it's just like I... You are a Mr. Helper and you have been, And that's why you're senior. That's why you've been team lead. But we've all very clearly, and you've agreed like we need focus on this other priority for the next three months while you, because it's a new domain, you're learning it. You're going to go learn it. You're going to bring it back to the team, but you have to be focused on it. And it's, but it's going to take time to get, to have somebody else step in and learn that. And it's going to take me getting, not being able to ping him and go, Hey man, what's the quick answer to this? Uh, Because if I do that to the other guy, it's going to take him three hours and I just ruined Mm -hmm. his scope for the day. Like that's tough, Mm -hmm. but we need to, but we have to work through that. We have to work through that to free up him to stay focused on what he needs to stay focused on, but it is a change of job. It's a change of ownership. Mm -hmm. It's a change of what that person is supposed to be currently caring about.
0: And it's a different, having, having been there as well, it's a different scale of ownership and it's a different type of ownership where at a certain level of team lead and direction ownership is being the most involved and setting direction. And there's another stair step up or maybe half a stair step where sometimes ownership is scaling yourself in such a way that the organization can succeed without you. And so sometimes the most effective thing you can do as a senior engineer is to attend a call and say nothing and let the next guy in line take it. And if you could ask a question to redirect to that individual and just express confidence in them. And it's not to say that you won't help them out later if they have a question or they ping you offline or they want to do a knowledge but dump or whatever. just because you know, it
1: doesn't mean you need to talk.
0: 100%. And I sometimes, am
1: learning this so hard right now.
0: Yep. And sometimes that's that's the best thing that you can do as a senior engineer is show up and say nothing and just let the other person handle it. And then it lets that whole audience see how much you trust them. It lets them be the point person. They get the questions afterwards and they can, they can step into that role and, and scale beyond just your specific technical contributions and knowledge Yep.
1: one more kind of example of that that same theme a little bit off of kind of where we have started but like in delivery where again i made my bread and butter for the longest time it's it's all about quick fast shift pivot problem solve go as quick as you can mm-hmm. um and again but it's the same idea that we're talking about with the senior engineer of i didn't i have had to try to stop preempting the conversation like sometimes Even though I know where the conversation is going and I can get it to step five in two minutes, sometimes you just got to sit on the call and let the the different teams work through it themselves. And it may be 30 minutes later before they got to where you were 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, but you got to let it play out. And that's, that's hard. That's that's really hard to do because you feel like the most helpful thing you can do is advance the conversation. But if you just jump the conversation and other people haven't been able to take the path at their pace, Mm -hmm. you've left them behind you've got them where you wanted them, but they're not there in the right mindset with the right attitude, with the right understanding, and you'll pay for that later. So mm-hmm. it's hard when you feel like you have something to contribute when you, well, not even when you feel like, when you know you have something to contribute, when you know you, you, could, you could drive it or you could solve it or you could make it happen. And it's just like, there is actually more value here to not doing that. Mm-hmm. Even though that's what you've been paid to do for your entire career up to this point. It's going from an individual contributor to that leader a senior role. And yeah. it's, it's a hard transition. Yep. It's a hard uh,
0: so now I'm going to quote Dune <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> once, once you have given, so this is uh, Duke Atreides. Once you have given orders on a thing, you must always give orders on that thing. And it's, it's kind of the same concept where if you're giving the instructions, then you have to continue giving the instructions. But if you can know the answer and let the the group and the team fill in that gap and figure it out on their own, that scales beyond what you can do on your own.
1: If it's floundering. If you can ask questions to help and not founder instead of make statements, mm-hmm. that's even that's that's the that's the bonus round. Like that's yep. what I wish I was better at. I'm trying to get better because, let's say it is off the rails. Let's say the conversation that you are trying not to preempt, that you're trying not to give orders on, you're you're wanting other people to come along with you. If you can learn the right questions to ask to help people figure it out for themselves, oh, you're amazing, and I want to be more like you when you figure that out. <laughs> like I, I've known some of those people in my career. One of my best mentors in my career was great at it. Like and it wasn't it wasn't in a manipulative way, but he would be able to get on a call, know exactly where he needed that call or that decision to end, and get people there and nobody thinking knew that he was doing it and all he would do is ask questions and there were logic questions this or that well, what if we do here? what do you think about this Well, if we do that what about this and it was just and before you know it, like the conclusions of those questions obviously led to the solution that he already had, but I mean that takes. That's not something that you learn overnight, but I just, yeah. I have a ton of respect for that. And again, not in a manipulative way, but in a way of which I'm trying to bring you along on this journey with me and show you why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking so we get to the same place. Yep. It's masterful. It's masterful when people do that.
0: That's learnings from closer to the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We're going to have to change the podcast name. Yeah. Um, well, when we maybe. get older. Yeah. Any,
0: exactly. any other thoughts on ownership, pros and cons?
1: No, I guess you've been quoting people. So I just kind of want to end with the idea from my dad. My dad always said, um, Your job is to duplicate yourself. So even in ownership, like I think you're like, we would kind of hints on to the second part of the conversation, the first part of the conversation you have is like, if you are the sole owner, um, you, you, you're not really helping, you're not really leading. Um, if you're trying to make this jump from individual to contributor to senior, or you're trying to make senior management, or whatever that is, like if you're just trying to lead people. Like, you need to duplicate yourself. Um, my dad would say that over and over again. I think it pretty much applies to kind of where we, we wound this conversation to. So, but otherwise, no, I love this topic because I like caring about work. I like caring about what I'm doing. But at the same time, I do have family. I do have community. I do have things outside of work. And so I don't want the work to be the end-all, be-all. So knowing how to care and have ownership and uh, care about the domain you're working in sometimes if we get really lucky Um, but still know how to draw the lines of where is my line of my job it's it's good conversation to have and i don't think it's one that you ever really stop having
0: Mm -hmm. how about you i'll i'll close with i i really liked expanding the spectrum of ownership because i came in kind of with with kind of a box for it in my head and talking about ownership at smaller scope uh ownership where you're gonna you're gonna do the role well and you're gonna keep things going is good and then that that next tier of not just ownership, but maybe enjoyment or passion about the domain that you're working in. I really, I think that's very helpful. And it opens my eyes a little bit to some of the, the disconnect I've had with people where there, there's just a different expectation of, do you really believe in this thing versus are you, are you here and doing a good job and caring about the business, but don't believe in this thing so much?
1: Yeah, no, I think I mean the more we do this podcast, definition of terms, like we can say things. I mean, the same industry and think for years that we've been saying the same thing, and you go, "Oh, oh that's different." Wait a minute, we're not <laughs> saying the same thing. So, no, I agree. I love it when we get able to break down a topic like this and dive into it because I'm definitely going to use ownership differently. Because if an engineer, mm-hmm. if I'm using ownership, an engineer is hearing I'm responsible for it, and that's all ownership means. I've missed the part of what I'm trying to communicate. So I love the takeaway.
0: Yeah, agreed. All right. This has been learnings from the middle. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.